Welcome to the Road to Cinema podcast, where we speak with director Travis Mills of the film Durant's Never Closes, starring Tom Sizemore and Peter Bogdanovich, the Arizona filmmaker and founder of the company Running Wild Films, last appeared on the Road to Cinema podcast to discuss the production of Durant's Never Closes. Today, we go through the distribution process for an independent film and why Travis decided to self-distribute his film theatrically to over 20 cities. This is a great episode on the art of self-distribution, so stay tuned to learn more. And we'll also learn some new developments for Travis and Running Wild Films, including a movie he's co-producing with the legendary director of Repo Man, Alex Cox. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest updates and some of our new video interviews, including Don Cheadle and Hewan McGregor. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road, Instagram at Jog Road Productions, and Facebook, Jog Road Productions. You can also write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join director Travis Mills as he talks with us about self-distributing his film, Durant's Never Closes, starring Tom Sizemore and Peter Bogdanovich. And to learn more how you can see Durant's Never Closes, which is coming back to Phoenix, Arizona, please visit Running Wild Films on Facebook and like their Facebook page, as well as the Facebook page for Durant's Never Closes. The last time I saw you was at AFM, and I remember at that time you were sort of debating uh, how to approach the distribution for Durant's Never Closes, and uh, I know since then you've decided to take the film out to, I think, almost over 20 cities and uh, almost distribute the film yourself theatrically. So I'm just curious from you know my perspective as an independent filmmaker, and I'm sure other people are curious out there, why did you decide to take that route with the film? Well, I, we had some meetings at that AFM where you and I met, and what came out of it was a few distribution deals. And I just didn't feel good about any of them. Um, I either didn't feel good about the terms, or I sort of did my research about the companies and, you know, again, heard some horror stories, just how. I'd heard a lot of horror stories about some of the sales agents that had been interested in Durant's. And uh, I decided, look, there's no reason that we have to go with a distribution company. Maybe we can do this ourselves. And I'd heard about a filmmaker through my research with uh, the sales agents who'd taken his Western to, I think, over 30 theaters himself in only the Midwest and made back the budget. And I found that quite inspiring. So I chatted with him some. His movie was called Wichita, and it was released a couple years ago. And uh, I just felt like that was the route that we should go with this, that, that I wanted to maintain control. At least I would know that, that it was going to be seen, you know, whereas giving it to someone else, I, I, you know, with the offers we had, I, I wasn't sure that it would be. So that's what we decided to do. Yeah, um, I was curious. Is there anything you can share about some of those proposed terms that uh, really made you think that that wasn't really the right route to take? Uh, you know, handing the film off to a distributor. Well, mainly it was that you know there's just no guarantee that there's going to be any kind of theatrical 
release and with the offers that we got i felt like these are companies that didn't really even believe in durant's theatrically you know they're going to play it in la and you know maybe maybe phoenix maybe endorse the phoenix screening and then that's it and obviously the dream of every filmmaker at least used to be to get your movie played in as many theaters as you can so I knew that they they wouldn't be up for that. And as soon as I gave away those U.S. rights, um, I wouldn't have much control. If I wanted to do those screenings, I, I'd most likely be going to them um, for approval for that. So it was that. And like I said, the other filmmakers, you know, would tell me horror stories about giving their, their rights away, even domestically, and, and then never you know, their film never being released, it just sitting on the shelf for a couple of years, which is scary. Yeah. Um, I was curious, too, is there sort of more of a trend now for companies to push for a VOD release for independent films? Is that more common, what do you say? I think so, yeah, because obviously it's faster, it gets out to theoretically more people. You know, I'm not an expert on, on VOD and the reasons for it, but... I think companies, when they think theatrical, they think a lot of money for advertising it for P&A. And I don't blame them. You know, that, that is true. When we did our theatrical release, we basically spent no money on P&A except for printing some posters to get sent to various theaters and then having to reuse those posters. We'd go to a theater, you know, and say, oh, we actually don't toss that or keep it. We need it for the next state the next city so we tried to cut corners and we only marketed the film on social media and through a press release so but i think distribution companies see theatrical is okay we're going to put all this money into it and it might not make money and then they see social media is just a lot easier to get that title out there uh so along those lines i mean how much of a uh I mean, how much of a, of a workload is it to take your film out there, travel to these cities? Uh, you know, I know you probably had to make a DCP and, and all the technical and logistical parameters of, uh, of, you know, distributing your film yourself. It was quite a journey. I mean, like you said, everything from learning how to make a DCP, which we hadn't done. And I learned that at least a lot of filmmakers on our level don't have experience with because they haven't really had to show their film in that format before unless they were accepted into a festival that required it. Um, and uh, really the, the hardest process was calling these theaters around the country and trying to convince them to play the film because I was determined from the start not to forewall any theaters. And of course, the standard way of thinking would be, well, there's no way that you're going to get a self-distributed film played in around the country without renting the theaters, without forewalling. But I was stubborn, and I worked off of a list that Film Comment put together a couple years ago of art houses in different states, and just started cold calling and working my way through. That was one step that was really difficult. But as we started to get them, it was more encouraging. And a lot of these showings were dependent on me being there. So it became clear that I was going to have to do a road tour. And after we went to Mississippi and, and um, filmed our latest feature, Porches and Private Eyes, I hit the road with my dog 
and we went everywhere from you know Tuscaloosa, Alabama to Detroit, Chicago, Delaware, Maine, Kentucky, really all over the country. And it was difficult for many reasons, not just logistically. It was also difficult because you would go to some screenings having promoted it as much as I possibly can, and there would be very few people there. And then you would go to others, like in Detroit, and you would have a, a very wonderful uh, audience and reaction to the film. So uh, it was just, it was quite a process, to say the least. Uh, was there ever uh, any talks of having the talent come out to any of the screenings? or? You know, I tried, but again, money is the question, because then you're, you're footing the bill for a plane ticket, for a hotel room, you know. Name talent is expensive, not just on set, but after the fact as well, you know? And I think it's a rare actor who is involved with a project who will really, like at least a project as small, who will really champion that film, um, you know, through the distribution process. Um, it's just, it's not something that I see very often, especially some of these actors who are just honestly working a lot. You know, by the time the movie's coming out, by the time Durant's is coming out, Tom Sizemore has made 20 other films, you know? Um, so it's just kind of a different situation than something like a, a you know, a, a mega blockbuster where Brad Pitt, you know, it gets flown around the country to promote it. Yeah, and that there's a whole budget that goes into uh, publicizing a film, which I've uh, I've realized lately. It's uh, it's quite an undertaking. Yeah, and and indies often don't have that budget. I mean, when we made Durant, we literally used every penny and went into even some debt to get the film made. So we absolutely didn't have extra money to spend on that kind of thing. Uh, stepping into um, sort of the business aspect of it. Uh, how was sort of selling tickets for the film? Was it sort of sharing the the gross between the theaters, or was there sort of a percentage uh, taken out? Yeah, I would convince these theaters to do um, a profit share of the ticket sales, you know, so that there would be, uh, you know, like I said, no upfront rental cost, and that we would both share in it being a success. And I, I think that's a very fair deal for both art houses that are struggling and filmmakers on our level that are trying to get our work out there. Um, it's like, hey, let's both promote it, let's both put the work in, you know, and also, if it goes well, we, we will equally benefit. So, um, I had some real good reactions with that. Um, here in Phoenix, the film played for three weeks theatrically, which is pretty good, um, and definitely a, uh, you know, a step up for us. Uh, but obviously a lot of people in Phoenix know the story. And uh, it was exciting to see the other markets around the country, unexpected ones, where we may have a future and we may now have a foothold. Uh, what have you seen, uh, you know, coming out of this process, traveling with the film all around the country, uh, distributing it yourself? Do you think that you would do this again for another film? It was quite a stretch emotionally and physically. I mean, I even uh, got in a uh, car wreck in Indiana on my way from Chicago to Delaware. And, uh, you know, I was driving long hours, sleeping in the car often. Um, and 
then I, I totaled my car in Indiana. So that was a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> you know, emotional experience uh, and had to get a rental to finish the rest of the tour. So I saw that I possibly pushed myself too far with this. And in the future, I want to do it like with Porches and Private Eyes. I want to do something like this. But I think that I would be more selective about where we went using some of those markets where we did well. Also being maybe more regionalized, like, you know, just, just covering the South, just covering the Southwest and then maybe expanding from there. Um, whereas with this, I pretty much played it in any city that would, that would say yes. Um, and also offering Skype sessions. And a lot of these art houses are really smart enough to do that. They, they realize, okay, a filmmaker's not going to be able to afford to fly out here. So let's just uh, Skype them in for a Q&A after the screening. So I'm going to try to take advantage of that with these next films that we're doing. Uh, and what is sort of the future of uh, Durant's past theatrical? Are you thinking about television, uh, VOD, SVOD? Well, we actually uh, have one last theatrical screening that I know of this month in Phoenix. Sort of a Durant's Never Closes Returns to Phoenix because uh, we still have people here that want to see it theatrically. And then uh, we're going to announce at that our uh, release date for Amazon and iTunes, uh, which will be late summer. So we are already gearing up for that, and I've been reading. I'm working with Distriber on that. I don't know if you're familiar with Distriber, but I actually met them at AFM when I met you. And... I think they're a good company, and we've been working with them to get it released through iTunes and Amazon and um, doing some research about stuff like the uh, Jake the Steak uh, documentary that was kind of released through them and did really well on iTunes and how to maximize our iTunes and Amazon release. So that's the plan right now. In terms of TV, that's another thing that, you know, it would be beneficial to have a distribution company which we don't, because I honestly don't know where to start with TV. But we're certainly going to explore all aspects, all avenues. Yeah. Um, also, for an independent film like this, is there any life in foreign sales? Or is that uh, something that's sort of difficult to accomplish at all? Yeah, well, Shoreline Entertainment is the sales company that we went with for foreign sales. And... So they've been working on the film, and they were they were actually selling it at AFM last year, um, and they've been representing it at the different uh, film markets. And it's just a difficult process because you know that's one thing that I don't think obviously I'm capable of doing yet is approaching is doing doing foreign myself, right? Because where to even start? But uh, so that's why I gave them the foreign rights. But filmmakers have so little control. Um, once you give your rights away, I think Shoreline's a good company, you know, but I really, it's, it's hard to know how well the film is doing, um, and at least until some definite sales come in, you know, and how well it's being pitched or, you know, if they're pitching it in a good way versus maybe they're misrepresenting it, you know, you got no control over, over these kind of things and you just have to trust the company after you let it go. 
Uh, do you think there's any, um, I mean, what do you tell independent filmmakers out there that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's important to sort of take control over your project, or is it also sometimes good to delegate as well if you really uh, trust the company? I think it's good to delegate what you know you can't do and don't have the time to do. I knew that I could pull off the theatrical myself and that I'd do a better job, or at least, you know, I'd get the film more theatrical exposure than a distribution company would. Um However, I thought at the time that there's no way I'm going to be able to sell this uh, to foreign territories. Now, with our new film, Porches and Private Eyes, I may attempt to do some of that, especially if I don't get a really good, um, uh, a really good offer from a sales company leading up to this, to this AFM. So. And uh, just, you know, lastly about Durant's, I mean, was there ever any opportunities to take it to film festivals or, uh, you know, explore, you know, that avenue to publicize the film at all? Or, You know, I really, at this point, feel pretty negative about film festivals because over the years we've, we've sort of toyed with festivals a bit, not not extensively, but with Durant's we submitted to about 15 festivals and we were not accepted into any. And I know that it's a crapshoot and I know that a lot of people, a lot of films are submitted and there's a lot that goes into that. Your connections to the festival, to the programmers, you know, um, a lot of things that can hurt your film or help them. And you know, there were even some local festivals in Arizona where Durant is, is really a big name that we weren't, um, you know, we, we didn't get into. But interestingly enough, uh, one of those decided to play the movie at their theater outside of the festival, and I was able to share in the profit of those screenings, um, which I wouldn't have been able to do if it had played in the festival. So I found that quite ironic. And to me it says, look, don't don't hedge your bets on these festivals unless you end up with a distribution company or a sales company that has an in. Um, don't waste your money or time on it. You know, it's another way of, like you said, putting the control into someone else's hand find a way to screen your movie publicly and make a profit off of those screenings. Yeah. Um, I was curious too about uh, Porsches and Private Eyes. I saw that you had a, a Kickstarter campaign going for that, which was very successful. And uh, I think you were, you were filming that out of Mississippi. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We did all the filming in Mississippi in March of this year. Uh, and what, uh, and what is that film about? The film is about these three ladies in this small southern town. It's based on some of my experiences in that town. My mom is from there. It's, it's Brookhaven, Mississippi. And I wanted to do something that would be geared specifically for a southern audience and um, touch on some of the people and places I've seen over the years there. And it's about these three ladies who have a little gossip circle. And when this old man disappears in town, that they sort of become these amateur detectives. My partner, Gus, described it as a uh, cozy, and he knows, uh, this is the co-founder of our company, Gus Edwards, he knows mysteries and genre, um, genre and the, specifically the mystery genre better than just about anyone, and uh, he described it as a cozy, similar to like an Agatha Christie 
novel. Uh, and uh, I mean, I know going this route, um, I think you were casting a lot of local actors. Is that right? Yeah, we did almost all of our casting out of Mississippi. And this was a much lower budget project than Durant's. It doesn't have any name talent in it. And really, I'm not going to sit around, you know, I felt like I'm not going to sit around and wait for, you know, just a, a, a Durant's level budget to come my way again or something bigger. I, I certainly want that, but it's not going to be an excuse to wait to make movies. So I, I went over there with our team and, and we did it. All right. What do you think the difference is between, uh, you know, working with name talent uh, like you did on Durant's and, you know, doing something like Porsches and Private Eyes where you're primarily working with, you know, local actors and, uh, you know, people who are not uh, sort of from Hollywood, per se? There's so many pros and cons to each. I mean, we were really impressed with the talent in Mississippi, even more so in some ways than we've we've been impressed with the talent, the local talent in Arizona, because I felt like these people were just so enthusiastic, and their enthusiasm and willingness, hunger to work on the project was, would outweigh any sort of, you know, talent um, issues that they had, you know, any any uh, lack of experience that they have, and, and there was people there that, on our cast, that had a decent amount of experience acting in Mississippi and New Orleans. Uh, and then there were some that had never been in front of a camera before. And it was fun working with all of them. The nice thing is that you don't have to worry about, you know, the trailers and the flying the men and, and catering to their every need. These are people that are just there to work like you are. And for the most part, they all have a fantastic attitude. So I think that that's, that's really the pro. And the con is just that when you hire a Tom Sizemore, I mean, he's just, you know, he is a really good actor, and it shows. The minute he walks in and does a take, he's adding nuances, and he understands the subtext of the character like no one else I've ever worked with before. Yeah. No, I remember seeing that in the film. Uh, you know, it's incredible how in a film performance it's really done well uh you know an actor who's just sitting there listening or just you know thinking uh so much shows up on screen it's really uh something that's unique yeah absolutely it was it was a pleasure to watch him so um i think that these other actors most local actors are not there yet but they can't they can get there obviously i mean we're talking sizemore is someone who's had years and years of experience working with some of the best directors to get him to that point. Uh, another project uh, I wanted to learn a little about is this film that you're producing for Alex Cox, who's known for making uh, Repo Man, which is a, mm -hmm. a huge cult film. Uh, how did you get involved uh, producing this film for him? Well, I've known Alex Cox's work for a while. I'm a big fan of his Ed Harris movie, Walker which was sort of the end of his studio period. And uh, like many people, I've sort of lost touch with his work, but he's continued to make movies over the years. They just haven't gotten the same attention that the past ones did. I read an article in a little blurb in the Film Comment magazine that announced he was making a new Western, and uh, it was called Tombstone Rashomon. 
And I think the article said something about him filming in Arizona. Obviously, that that sparked my interest because I'm interested. Um, you know, I want to be involved with with anything great that's happening in this state. I was able to find his website and his email, and I just reached out and said, "Hey, Alex, this is who I am, and if you're still making this movie in Arizona, then I want to be involved. However, you you know you can use me." And he replied and said, you know, sort of, well, <laughs> this is not, you know, a huge budget production. And I said, I don't care. I want to be a part of it because of who you are and because you're doing it in Arizona. And they brought me on as the casting director at first because they were going to cop uh, most of the roles locally. And then I was brought on as an associate producer and I was on set. Uh, in May, uh, with with filming that happened in Old Tucson, which is where a lot of the, the westerns were made back in the day. Uh, yeah, I think that's a lot of the uh, John Ford westerns. A lot of uh, John Wayne made most of his films out there. Yeah, Hawks with like Rio Bravo. All of that stuff was done there. Uh, and um, what have you learned from working with somebody who's you know really seasoned like Alex Cox? Uh, you know, seeing him on set, uh, seeing him work day to day. Alex is super energetic. I saw it from the start, even in our audition, that he just has this incredible energy that inspires both cast and crew. And it's a very positive, joyful energy. He's a lot nicer than I am as a director, a lot kinder. And I saw that and took notes on it. But I also just felt like watching him that, you know, all of us have our own... Uh, our own way of directing and running a set. And I think it's good not, just because someone has more experience than you, it's good to not be intimidated or, or feel like you have to replicate what you're seeing someone else, you know, more seasoned director do. You just got to find your own way. And I feel really good about my continually, you know, developing method however different it might be from Alex's. But it was it was fun to watch him work. Uh, he, he really knows what he wants, which like Peter Bogdanovich said on our set, is, is really the key to being a director, is knowing what you want. Yeah, for you, uh, is there you know a process for you when you arrive to the set in the morning? Do you sort of have you know a way of preparing you know before you're gonna start shooting for the day? Well, I like to get there first, that's for sure. You know, every day that we were there in Mississippi, I, you know, as things were sort of being uh, put together in a hectic way at our production office where we were staying, I would, you know, be antsy to leave and get there. And even if there's just a few minutes on set before everybody gets there, there's something kind of nice about that. Not even to read the script there, but to just walk the space and just get in the zone. And then... Um, you know, I like to touch base with my key collaborators once they arrive, specifically my cinematographer, and, and walk the scene and talk everything out. But things start to happen pretty quickly on our sets. It's not two hours after we get there that we get the first shot off. It's usually 30 minutes, sometimes less. Uh-huh. And um, I was curious, too, uh, you know, moving forward, I know there was a, a project on the journalist, I believe his name is Dan Bolas, is that correct? Dan Bowles, uh, Don Bowles. Don Bowles. Actually, yeah. 
Uh, and uh, I remember you were talking about uh, sort of developing that and, and moving forward. Is that uh, what is sort of the state of that project at the moment? That's still on our plate, and um, we are developing it and looking for funds. I mean, you know, the biggest struggle of any filmmaker, not just uh, people on my level, but even even the big time guys, I think, is to get funding. You know, and. Uh, we're still looking for funding for it because it is a bigger project than Durant's. And, and I think that the scope requires that. We got one seasoned veteran character actor, a guy named Mitchell Ryan, on board to play sort of the film's villain. He's a, a really cool guy who's been in everything from High Plains Drifter to Magnum Force, and some other great projects. One of those uh, character actors that you know him, you know his face, but you might not know his name. And uh, we got him involved, and we even shot uh, an interview, career-long interview with him uh, recently that we plan on packaging together and releasing and and potentially continuing that with a series on character actors in America. But yeah, back to the project, Valley of Shadows is what it's called. We're just poking around. And in the meantime, um, like I said, we're not going to, we're not going to stop doing other things. Um, I'm putting together a horror film called Bride of Violence based on a short story by Lawrence Block, who wrote A Million Ways to Die and A Walk Among the Tombstones, which we'll do in February. It's a feature which I'll direct. But even before then, we're, I'm producing a film uh, in Mississippi that one of my team will direct. And then I'm actually producing a kung fu film in Colorado in December <laughs> that uh, that uh, someone else will direct that I met on Tombstone Rashomon. I really enjoyed that process of helping a director realize their vision, and I want to do it more often because I think I, you know I'm good at producing, and uh, that was a very fruitful experience. So so I'm continuing to do it a couple more times this year. Yeah, no, it's incredible, uh, you know, how, how busy you are. You, uh, you work on so many things at once. Uh, I mean, was this always the plan with Running Wild Films? Did you always imagine that you would be working on so many projects simultaneously? I don't know if it was really the plan, but it just came naturally. I mean, I think you could say that I'm sort of addicted to the process, and there's really no way for me to stop. I, I just I have a hard time slowing down, and there might be... There might be negative, uh, you know, uh, the, the, some negative things might come from that, but I think overall it's good just to stay busy and, and make movies. And it always made sense to me the filmmakers like Woody Allen, who just keeps working, or the studio pros from the old days, like Michael Cortese, who they say would make an average of three features a year. That always made a lot more sense to me personally than the Kubricks or even, you know, Warren Beatty, who's taken so long between projects. That doesn't make them mean that they're not great filmmakers because they are, but I just don't relate to that process. Yeah, no, I think it's always good to uh, to keep creating, to keep working. I think it only makes you stronger as a filmmaker. Right. Well, yeah, I see what we do um, is oftentimes more of a sport than an art form. And athletes don't go to the big game without practicing and playing all the other games. And that's how I see it. It's continually practicing and playing games and, you know, learning from what we do. Uh, And lastly, um, you know, you're based out of Arizona and 
uh, you know, you're really passionate about making stories, you know, locally from Arizona and also, you know, going to other places like Mississippi and Colorado and, and shaping uh, your films around those locations. Um, you know, how much, you know, is it for you to be, you know, an Arizona filmmaker? I mean, do you think of yourself that way as, as someone who's, you know, really uh, trying to develop projects from, you know, sort of based around where you're located in a sense? I do definitely associate myself as, as, you know, an Arizona filmmaker, a filmmaker based in Arizona. And I still want to develop films here. What I've seen is that, you know, with our positive experience in Mississippi, where we were just greeted so well by the film, by the film community, by the, the, you know, just local town community, and by the film commissioner there, that we need to be open to starting this kind of movement elsewhere. And I'm starting to see myself as someone who wants to encourage local filming, uh, local filmmaking based on, you know, um, indigenous stories, not just here, but in Mississippi. And I saw this elsewhere in Detroit where I heard some amazing stories and Kentucky and Maine on my road tour. So hopefully I would like to see this company grow um, and, and stretch out to these different places across the country and start these little movements there. That's sort of my new goal 